This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better, something designed with you in mind, like the new Inspire Leggings by Kalia, their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. Hello, I'm Josh Willicum. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern-day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice, and, of course, tales of parenting woe. Because, let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. Hello, you are listening to Parent in Hell with... Iris. There we go. Good work, Iris. Hello, Rob and Josh. I hope you're both well. I've listened to the podcast from the very beginning. It's got me through some very frustrating times parenting my two daughters, now two and four years old. This is my youngest daughter, Iris. Her big sister has recently started school, and so she's feeling a little bit lost without her partner in crime constantly by her side. We're both loving a little more quality time together. Keep up the good work. Lucy from Crick, near Rugby. Um, I found myself saying something this mm-hmm. week, Rob. Yeah. And I thought, I've turned into my dad. I said... Send them back. <laughs> I said, get the gunboats. <laughs> no, I said... <laughs> I said... Well, it was cold. Yep. I said, I'm sorry. But I'm promising to myself that we don't turn the central heating on until at least October. Yeah, I, yeah. So my friend's having the same discussion. He said he's been he's been negotiating with his wife when they can turn the heating on, but I, you can't pick a date. You have to pick a temperature. Surely that's the rule. I know. I know. I'm in the wrong, Rob. <laughs> I know I'm in the wrong. I know I'm not listening to the science. But, <laughs> Sick of experts. Yeah, but I just thought I can't. I'm sorry. Central heating in September is an absolute no-no on my watch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it does, like, in the, like, the mornings I've found have been so horrendous and rainy and bleak. And then by the afternoon, I'm like, it's like tops off in the garden, isn't it? Yes. No? Not, not getting your top off in the garden? Well, you know, Rob, I'm, I haven't had enough, quite enough protein shakes to get to that point yet. <laughs> okay, yeah, a few more shakes and you'll be all right. You'll get there. Yeah, exactly. That's my thing. I'm trying to, li- I'm trying to get down. I'm trying to get thinner. I don't need bulk. I've got bulk. I might have got massive, like, bloke tits that are either wobbly, like, tad tits or rock hard, but the yeah. same size. Right, yeah. So, so like, you- that's weird, isn't it? What do, what do you want? Just big rock hard tits? Well, I didn't think you'd be offering me that so early in the podcast, Rob. <laughs> I look like my. If I go to the gym a lot, my breasts, my my pecs breasts, look like. Look, you look like the, fir- the first person to get a boob job in the world. <laughs> Just rock hard. Then work the science out. They were bigger. They couldn't you look deny like that. Lola Ferrari. <laughs> Who the fuck's Lola Ferrari? She used to like- be on Euro Trash. She was a kind of. Um, she's one of the first big boob job models. Oh really? <laughs> 
What are the fuck? Lola Ferrari. Um, like Orla from Big Brother. Yeah, oh yeah, a bit yeah. like Lola Ferrari or Orla from Big Brother. She had um, fake boobs, didn't she? I don't remember Orla from Big Brother. Which which Google. Big Brother was that? Orla from... Um, oh, I can't remember. I can't. Do you know Carol from Big Brother was heckling Keir Starmer? Absolutely astonishing. I couldn't believe that. Orla from Big Brother, she had fake boobs. Oh, that, that was, was quite early on. After my, uh, too far after my, um, my love of Big Brother. Oh, really? I fucking loved Big Brother, Rob. It was my favourite show on telly, I think. It was, the first series of Big Brother is still possibly my favourite series of anything ever. When Bubble hurt his knee. When he oh, that, that was thing. a glorious moment. Absolutely wonderful. When Bubble hurt his knee, when Nasty Nick was confronted. Kate Lawler and Johnny the Fireman. Oh, the bit where Alex Sibley, the hot yeah. model, and they, the door Sings. came... Yeah, yeah. He, the door came back and he sang was genuinely one of the greatest bits and moments of television I've ever and seen. And then he kept on p- people pissing in the shower and he was fuming. Oh, yeah, Johnny the Fireman was pissing in the oh, shower. Victor Abu, where he was great, wasn't he, when he oh, was arguing? Oh, what, Fight Night? Oh, Fight Night, then the big, the big blonde head, Scottish one came in. Yeah, Jason, Victor and Jason, oh, the, the Jungle Cats. The Jungle Cats, yeah! <laughs> and then that Craig really fancied Anthony and then Anthony shagged him a cosy in the hot tub and she said oh, she was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, oh, my, my God. God, great days. Great good. days. It was and so who good. That, who was that posh guy that ordered loads of bananas for a laugh and everyone hated him? That was great. I don't remember that Tim. One. Oh, Tim. The guy shaving his chest and got caught yeah. shaving his chest. Oh, oh yeah. That was great. Oh, oh my word. Lovely times. Lovely oh, times. And now... Oh, we got all the way through that without mentioning Kinger, which I think is a victory for everyone involved. Oh, Kinger. Oh, Garden. and when Michelle and someone else had sex under the table. Do you remember that? Yeah. Pete, oh, like the glory days. Oh, remember Blow job under a duvet with a fixed camera. That was telly. And, um, oh, I tell you the other one. Um, the Welsh girl who liked blinking. Helen. Oh. <laughs> lush. Lush. <laughs> Love blinking. Oh, oh glory days. Right. Loved it. This anyway, is just... Charlotte Church. <laughs> Welcome, Charlotte Church, to the show. We're very excited to have you on, Charlotte. Hello. Oh, there we go. That is definitely her. Even that was good. <laughs> well, I don't think we've had a national treasure on before. I'd say you're a national treasure, Charlotte. Would you take that? Oh, do you think I've reached national treasure status? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Oh. We've had Tom Allen. I think that's the closest we've got. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. I mean, who knows? There is uh, there's certainly no ceremonial process for it. I'd say a very young national treasure because because you've been famous for so long. I forget how young you are still. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel very young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 35 now and yeah I mean it, the grey hairs are starting and it's a bit of a shocker isn't it well you, how old are your kids as well you've got two kids is that right I've got three I've got a new three baby. yeah I've got a new baby who's just um she's just gone one. Oh yeah because your other two are slightly older aren't they sorry I think you only had two yeah and then I've got I've got some big uns who are 14 and 12. So, oh my oh, God, wow. that's a big gap. So you've got 14, 12 and a one-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. What's it like? Has it felt familiar or has it felt like a different experience having a baby the third time round? Um, I think that it's felt very, very familiar. And I mean, I just love it. I love mothering. I love all the different ages. I love having a newborn. I did love birth, but then my third birth I absolutely came and like bitch slapped me in the face. Really? Was you a bit, was you overconfident? I was so unbelievably overconfident. 
because the first two times I was 21 and 22 and, you know, my body knew just what to do. And I had two home births and they were quite simple. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It was still birth. It's still like incredibly intense and painful yeah. and the rest of it. But I mean, a long haul flight's a long haul flight whether you're in economy or business. You know what I mean? So, but... Right. But, but it was like um, the, the third time around, I mean, I've become quite quite a nature lover, stroke, tree hugger, you know, like quite deep hippie in, in the interim yep. of having my first two and, and little baby Frida. And so I'd set this birth palace outside, basically, amongst the trees. Oh, wow. <laughs> no way. Really? Oh, I, I had flowers. I dried flowers. Like, I mean, it was so involved. It looked like a Baz Luhrmann set, candles everywhere. <laughs> And so I laboured in there overnight, which was beautiful. But then I had a screaming on the bathroom floor. Oh, really? You went, you decamped inside? Decamped inside, yeah. But um, yeah, so so Mother Nature came and went, sit down, silly lady. <laughs> <laughs> As if you've been just making beautiful spaces for this moment for the past month. <laughs> You'll have a smewling on the bathroom floor. Oh, God. What was the point when you went... We need to go inside. It started drizzling at about 7am. I lived next to a golf course and I could really hear the golfers. <laughs> and as my noise, because I'm a noisy woman anyway, but especially, you know, in any sort of pain or anything. So as, I, as my noise started to up, I thought this is not going to work. Imagine shanking it into the rough and trying to find your ball and discover Charlotte Church giving birth. Birthing in the trees. <laughs> I'd love that. That's what those golfers need, actually. Yeah, it livens up around, doesn't it? There needs to be a bit of divine feminine on the golf course, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and has it been, you had the sleepless nights and things like that, or you're just a lot more confident, that, you know, because you've already had to? I mean, I, oh, no, I mean, we've had all the sleepless nights and all of it, but, um, I mean, I just, I'm completely elated by her by this new addition to the family, by how she's changed the whole our whole family dynamic. You know, it was getting to a point, I think, before when the bigger ones start, you know, they're starting the process of adolescence and so they start to grow away from you a bit, but actually she's really connected us all, Aww. made everybody a bit softer, a bit gentler. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been totally lush, but I, I love, I love the whole thing. Parenting is unbelievably difficult yeah and you do so much soul searching but in my mind it's my absolute it's the pinnacle of my existence and it's i, I love it <laughs> do you think rob in 10 years then that's what you're going to need to do to re-engage your daughters well i have a child with charlotte church <laughs> <laughs> have a child in the woods it's gonna be a hard sell at home um <laughs> <laughs> She's a national treasure, Lou. <laughs> no, um, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose it must have been crazy for you, though, Sherlock. You had them quite young, didn't you? And obviously, you became mega famous quite young. Was it all a bit of a whirlwind at that point then? And now you're a little bit older. You, it's a bit calmer having the babies. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in a way, your twenties is way more chaotic, and especially, yeah. you know, I, I was yeah, twenty-one and twenty-two having Ruby and Dexter. So much younger, um, and therefore, yeah, things are much more of a whirlwind, much more chaotic. But in a way, things are simpler because mm. you haven't quite amassed that knowledge, the, com the complexity of it. Ignorance is bliss almost, isn't it? 
totally like your relationships aren't as well formed as they are when you're in your thirties. And, you know, you, you start to understand so much more and generally you grow, you know, in, in responsibilities, your level of responsibilities is growing as well throughout your twenties and thirties. So in a way, yes, I'm more sated and calmer and I know myself better and it's less chaotic, but in another way, it's so much more complex. Yeah. And I suppose also because back then was was the start of my parenting journey and all of the learning that I've done subsequently about children and human beings and cognitive development and because I, and I've done all of that research to do with the school, yeah, of course, with the learning community that I set up. So, but but with all of that knowledge now, that does make things a lot more complex. You homeschooled your kids, is that right for a period? And now you've set up a school that sort of is in like an, an annex onto your house. So you, you've opened this school. Is it for like 20, 20 kids? Is that right? I mean, I've looked it up a little bit, but it was basically a Daily Mail article, so it's quite hard to work out what's, 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 what's real. <laughs> so what, what's a school you've set up? So basically, um, it's a learning community called the Awen Project. So for the first year, yes, you, you're right, we were in the annex of my house yeah. and we were like registered as a school. And then when COVID hit, we lost funding, we lost the ability to be able to, uh, we lost our planning permission basically to be to be in the annex and so then we retreated into the woods and now we've got a a partnership with the woodland trust but we can only give basically less than half of the education so now we're just what we we're not a school we're classed as a learning community but yeah the important part of what we do is that we're free to attend it's democratic education which means that the young people and and i mean everybody who works in the environment so so the the facilitators as well everybody has an equal say in everything that happens in the school yes. so wow. no, there's no there's no coercion it's all based around consent and people's you know, passions and what they're interested in and what they want to work on. Do you find the kids taking a lot of responsibility in that position and does it kind of give them a kind of investment in the situation? Absolutely. I think that this is the way in which humans have been learning for millennia. What age groups is it for? So at the moment, we've got 15 students between the ages of 9 and 14. Yeah. And eventually we want to be in all the way through school or all the way through learning quality. Yeah. So three till 17, basically. Yes. But I don't just want to set up one. What we're hoping to do is to make each of these little learning communities self-sufficient yeah. by setting up businesses, after-school clubs, summer clubs, all sorts of different things that we can do to earn money and, and be self-sustaining. And then hopefully, because they're co-created by the kids and their families and you know whatever facilitators or teachers are in that environment, then they can pop up in any circumstance. So you could have one in inner city Birmingham, you yeah. could have one in rural Pembrokeshire, you could even have one in the slums of Mumbai, because each one sort of grows and evolves and adapts to that set of people. Yes. And their needs. So I, I'm really passionate about education and I'm really passionate about 21st century education, um, which currently I don't think we're providing, but I'm also really passionate about that being free. So would this be a replacement of traditional schooling or would it run alongside it? Like at the moment, your kids, do they just come to your school and then at 14 go to like a government school to do GCSEs and stuff like that? How is it working? Well, at the moment, it's our age range is 9 to 14 because that's the age of the kids. But they'll stay with us through that, through the, you know, through to the end of their 
education. Oh, okay. So they'll stay through till 16, 17, 18. Yeah, absolutely. And then do you do qualifications and stuff like that? Or is it all totally sort of student led? Because we only do half of the education or less than half of the education, the other side of it is homeschooling. Oh, okay. We're supporting parents to homeschool, but also, I mean, there's so many resources online nowadays. So this parent community is amazing and they start to develop their own systems and a resource base and all of this sort of stuff. So in terms of exams and GCSEs, the kids can do what they want to do and we'll support them in whatever Mm. they choose to do so one of them might want to do a b-tech one of them might want to do 11 gcses you know he might say i don't want to do any gcses at all and i know that i want to go straight into this you know of working or so i mean it's it's fascinating and it's completely different for each individual as it should be and are your two uh older children go there presumably yeah, absolutely. Imagine right. that now, they're at the private one, don't they? <laughs> don't fuck about that, on some A-levels, mate. Can't get UCAS points in the woods. <laughs> That'd be amazing if you said that. No, no, absolutely not. I'm, um, yeah. I'm a died-in-the-woods socialist. Yeah. <laughs> when you were a teenager, Charlotte, and at school, were you at school, at secondary school? Or were you flying around the globe, singing and stuff? How did that work for you when you were growing up? I did both. So I had two tutors when I was on the road. What age It was uh, 11. Did you... Is that right, Charlotte? You broke through your big break? Yeah, my big break came when I was about 11, and then I had my first album out at 12. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I've done my research, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Robert. Yeah, you sang it on this morning over the telephone in 97. Yes, I did. Then you went on the big, big talent show. That's just saying, Josh, you know, you need this information at hand when you're dealing with a national treasure. And just to double check, and you're Welsh, right? That's correct. <laughs> just a little bit. I've done my research as well. Thank you very much, Rob. <laughs> um, so what was that like as a teenager who's kind of forming their kind of self in the public eye? That must have been such a strange kind of few years, right? It was fraught in many ways, like most people's adolescences. Mm. I missed my friends loads. Mm. Like often I'd be like, oh my God, I hate singing for presidents. I just want to (laughs) go. Just want to hooch in the park. I want to go to the end of the 18th disco in creation and snog everyone. Which president did you sing for? I sang for... Mugabe, bit of a dark time. (laughs) Regret that. I sang for President Bush a number of times and President Clinton. I did Bush's inauguration. Did you? Yeah. Blimey. How did that work out? It it was great, actually. I wasn't politically active at the time. And I didn't really understand. Otherwise, I never would have sang right-wingers. What was that like as a day, though? As an 11-year-old? Did you say you were... How old No, I must have been about 14, I was. It was just before my 15th birthday. It was odd. I mean, I was in one, but but one hell of an experience. That's what I was going to move on to. Yeah. Is that even though it was fraught, and there were ways in which I wanted to be home and I wanted to be normal, and you know, because I did go to school as well for the for the other half when I was back home. Are you going into school on the Monday? Going, what did you get up at the tour of the weekend? I was singing on the Capitol Hill for President Bush. Yeah, your Monday morning diary is like the first autobiography. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that teacher got a free copy. Totally, but I mean that the other thing that I'm so privileged to to have had is all of those insanely amazing experiences. Yeah. So yeah. you know whether it was 
singing with different orchestras around the world, whether it was, you know, going to amazing, uh, ancient, complex places like Israel and really starting to understand the, you know, historical and political conflicts there, whether it's, you know, looking at um, out of the, the window of the coach, which is taking me and Kelsey Grammer and a whole load of other <laughs> celebs to this um, inauguration for President Bush and seeing massive protests outside. Yeah. I mean, it was just such an education. I know this is a weird thing to drill down on. You're just sat on a bus with Kelsey Grammer. That's how you get to the, the inauguration. You're just all bust in, the kind of celebs. Oh, yeah, just bust in. I mean, because of the Secret Service and stuff, there's so much security. So, yeah, the vetting process was was pretty hardcore. And must be people there, you've gone, out. Oh, you've gone in right to this. <laughs> it's always fun until you see someone else on the bus. You're like, what? I thought this was special. What are they doing yes, here? totally. What are you doing here? I used to love Frasier, though, so I was over the moon to meet Kelsey Grammer. Oh, no, Kelsey's all right, isn't he? He was a bit of a douche. She was a bit of a dick, to be honest. Oh, really? Yeah, well, A, he's a right winger. I mean, it's quite strong from someone on the same bus to the bush inauguration. That's <laughs> <laughs> some throw stones. I know. What did what did I expect? People in celeb coaches should not throw stones. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> but with your own kids, what's it like now? Because they're at the same age as you were when all that was happening. Yeah. Do you have a different perspective on it now about like, oh my God, how young you were or and things like that? Does it, does it make you th- look back and reflect differently? Not particularly. I mean, I sometimes, I, I sometimes think about it with my daughter, but I, you know, I think that actually it got really invasive and really difficult at about 15, 16, when the press yeah. started going for me yeah. before, before then you know, it was in, in the majority just really positive, D- hard, difficult, really a, a lot of work. But it was it, it sort of it got a bit poisonous when I was 15, 16 yeah. in the press turned, to be honest. The cliche with sort of child stars and people become super famous. He was like one of the most famous people in the world in that period. Like, yeah. uh, the, you know, normally it doesn't end up quite a negative storyline normally when you look at the sort of child stars. Um, going back a few years so like you you seem so with it and in and control and sort of very mature like do you, have you had to work on that or did you just like or how do you think you've come out of it so composed and in charge of your own life rather than some people go spiral slightly I think that in a way I had I had this music like I had this deeply even, even though I'm not religious like this but I was just singing this deeply sacred music with like I said, orchestras all over the world. And I loved singing. And I do think that that was a balm. Mm, um, yeah. That just acted, it just really soothed me. And I always had that. It was like a constant companion where I could, whatever sadness, whatever grief, whatever anger, you know, I could always sort of channel it into, into singing in this beautiful sacred music. So I, I think that had a role to play. Uh, this sounds ridiculous now, but I've also got quite a slow heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. No one was expecting that turn in the road. My heart rate is generally like high 50s. Yeah. Yeah. No school run, that's why. <laughs> 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 I think that that's played a part because really? I think that, yeah, I'm just not as quick to stress or, you know, my, my literally the, the mechanics of my body is a bit calmer. And I think that's really helped. It's <laughs> 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 so funny, but, and also I think probably more important than anything, and this was both a blessing and a curse, was that I came from a super duper working class family. 
And so in part, I mean, that comes with its own shit. Don't get me wrong. Complex family stuff. But also I had a perspective then. I wasn't born privileged. Yeah. And so to then be in this world of privilege and traveling and all of that, I really appreciated it. Yeah, yeah. I was I was full of awe and wonder for everything that was happening because I had, even though I I hadn't had a long time, you know, just in Cardiff, growing up in, in a normal working class family, I still understood what it was, and my mm-hmm. family really knew what it was. You know, no, none of us had ever. Nobody in my lineage has ever even gone to uni yet, including yeah. me. And so it was like it was like I was plucked from obscurity. Didn't that sort of, you know, the success and the money and the fame and stuff like that, but didn't that impact on being working class? So that's sort of almost like a, a, a guilt of it of like, why has this happened to me and not other people and stuff like that? Because there's, like, you know, there's poverty mindset is where, you know, if you do come into money, sort of you don't know how to deal with it or what to do because there's no experience within your family of, of how to deal with that kind of stuff. So was that not um, difficult to cope with or did you find that quite quite easy? I mean, that's definitely happened, you know, within within my family and, it, it, you know, more money, more problems. It has created issues and difficulties. And but I mean, it, it was different for me because I was a kid. Mm. So you quickly adapt. Yeah. But mind you, like I still and I think lots of people, lots of people will feel like this, even though you become, you know, monetarily successful. I still very much feel like I'm working class, like I'm from working class yeah. stock. Because, you know, generations of my family have been. So, you know, deep within my DNA is, you know, peasant stock. (laughs) (laughs) We're all from workhouses. Everybody was an alcoholic, you know. (laughs) You know, that's deep within my makeup. And and whilst, you know, my, my life has gone a different way to that of my ancestors, which I'm you know, very thankful for and grateful for the the choices now that I'm able to make. I'm hoping that I'm making choices that will still honour, you know, what they went through. Yeah, well, I think you've done brilliantly because it's very, you know, a massive head fuck thing to deal with, especially from a young age. But it sounds like you've really got your, your head together, which is so important, I think. Yeah, I mean, and also, to be honest, I've just... I mean, I haven't been very clever with my money necessarily. And that's probably, again, yeah, due to the fact that We've not had it before. So (laughs) I did, I just, I spent it. I spent it all willy nilly. I gave everybody money, but that's good as well. Like you should, money is energy and you shouldn't just let it stockpile. You know, it should be, it should be free flowing throughout the world. So, you know, all of this, you know, hereditary wealth and stuff, this, these, this is some of the main problems of, of our society is this accumulated wealth where, you know, 60 people in the world own half of the world. Yeah. That's not right. Something's got to give there. So I I did. <laughs> and now I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> how would you feel if um, your daughter came to you and said, I've been asked to sing on TV? How would you feel about that? Would you be excited or would you kind of, would it bring back a load of things where you're like, oh, God. Yeah, I'd be really nervous. Yeah. But, you know, what I'm really doing with my kids is is I am allowing them agency. You know, I'm giving mm. them autonomy to to be the leaders of their own lives and, and playing my supporting role, which is, I think, what parents mm. should be doing, not trying to either live vicariously through their children or create a perfect little mini-me. At the end of the day, the choice would be hers. Yeah. 
but I would be nervous, absolutely. Did you ever, like, debate whether you should be doing certain shows or certain... Like, was there... Was there or did it feel like when you're a teenager, I suppose, oh, great, I'll just do this, I'll just do that. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I can't imagine at that point thinking, I'm not going to do the inauguration. Oh, I, it was constantly talked about, you know... Mm my my image um, the, the the marketing plan and the majority of the time because from like 13 14 I was all I was into was you know R&B and hip hop and soul and gospel yeah and so that that's where all of my musical passion and stuff was going but there was no way that they were going to let me <laughs> Charlotte Church does a reggae album at the age of 14 <laughs> would have been a curveball wouldn't it that was not within the you know the master plan yeah. so yeah. so yeah I mean it was definitely curated and my my image and stuff was highly curated but not by me yeah no. From that, you know, you was a child, really, like 10, 10, 11 and 12, your first album. Do you think, you know, that loss of control when you should be the most creative, do you think that informed your decision to allow your kids to choose their own path? Because you, you couldn't. I mean, on a subconscious level, absolutely. I reckon you could psychoanalyse the bejesus out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also think that, you know, I am, I'm just following what the gold standard is for 21st century education nowadays. Do you really enjoy teaching? Because when the Zoom call started, you had you were like, oh, sorry, my settings are wrong because I've been teaching music on Zoom. Yes. Do you enjoy that process of teaching music to young people? I think that I'm I'm only just finding a practice. So I'm I'm going to be training over the next couple of years to be a sound healing practitioner. What's that? So it's it's where you are basically using whether it's your voice or gongs or bells or whatever for people's healing. The idea being that we're all we're all frequencies, you know, okay. we're all vibrating. Each one of your cells is vibrating at, at a frequency. We are all energy and that lots of healing can happen through music. And I think that's pretty universal when you think about yeah breakup the first thing you turn to is music in grief a lot of the time the first thing you turn to is music yeah you're self-soothing with the music yourself you know you put that song on to i've got a playlist that gets me to sleep you know yeah. like certain songs and then it just so i think i do think people use music that way i think i think sometimes i when like when you say like it was a sound healing was it what well, practitioner for, yeah. i think some people get scared by that but then actually when you break it down you go oh just using music to make yourself feel better whether it's to be excited for a night out or calm down after a stressful day at work but i think i think sometimes it's more like that the name of something makes people get scared and panicked from their own sort of insecurities but the reality is it's actually something that's quite simple in the work that we're already doing yeah exactly exactly and so with your um with your like your one-year-old so will she will she go into any sort of preschool nursery or she'll just be all sort of homeschooled as it were now all the way through what what should, did any of your kids try out nurseries and stuff like that or is it straight into homeschooling no yeah the big ones did um they went to nursery for a bit and again, it was like, I, I did it and I put them in nursery because that was like what you were supposed to do. Yeah. Oh, when you've, they're this age now, you've got to socialise them. And I hated it. They hated it as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we persevered for a while and then I found a lovely little Steiner school, a little Steiner kindergarten, and that was much better. Mm. Um, Cause it was just, it, it was lovely. It was like a home from home environment, but then that wasn't quite right educationally. So that's when we were like, to be honest, when we first started homeschooling, it was like, oh gosh, we've made a mistake here with this alternative <laughs> education. 
everybody was right. Our family was right. What have we done? And so we were like, well, we'll homeschool them for a year till we get them back to where they should be in mainstream. And then they can go into main, into the mainstream system. But then after that first year, we had such a great time of exploring together and getting to know the kids better and, you know, really understanding them as little human beings and all of that. It was it was great. So we thought, well, let's just continue. Um, so to be honest, it was t- it was quite accidental that. Oh, really? Yeah, that we fell into it, really. And how, how are they like? Because I found with, lo- with homeschooling and lockdown, my youngest three year old was like she was fine going to nursery, but then. She really got panicked about us leaving the house or she going to nursery. She's better now, but had that sort of slight sort of like abandonment thing because she wasn't used to being left. Have your kids been okay then with like, do they, you know, did they go for sleepovers? Do they go out and about without you? And they, are they comfortable leaving? Because obviously they have spent a lot of time with you at home with the homeschooling. Has that been affected at all? Are they pretty confident with socialising and stuff? They are absolutely fine. They can't get far enough away. Oh, fair. So they're happy <laughs> no, to go. They're, right, they're, okay. no, they're great. They're really confident in themselves. Yeah. But to be honest, I think from young, um, I have been trying to imbue them with a sense of, you know, their own capacity and capabilities. I remember yeah. when my son was like two, we, we somebody came over and stayed with us who, who hadn't, wasn't really like part of our friendship group or anything and was basically a new person. And they watched Dexter, this tiny little two-year-old, climb up, make his own like cereal, you know, go go to the fridge, get the milk out. And they just watched like absolutely flabbergasted that this little two-year-old could do this. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just because you just set those things up so that, you know, they feel they have more autonomy and agency from earlier on. But, you know, in our society, we tend to, because we're all so busy, it's like we don't have enough time. Yeah. This summer, for example, at the start of the year, I was in a yes phase and I just said yes to everything. Sounds like Josh's diary. Yeah, <laughs> I've been in that phase since about 2008. Uh, which basically means that the summer was way too much. Yeah, we had that. Yeah, yeah. Way too much. Um, and I think lots of people are feeling it now, particularly after you know the year of COVID. But I, I was immediately again reminded of, hang on, I need to slow things down. I really want to have this time with my kids and I want to be able to, I want to be able to slow down that time. So, you know, whether it's my little baby girl, just, just having the time to follow her explorations. It sounds, you know, uh, like bliss and, and, and a perfect way to do things. And obviously like how, how do you think your, the education of kids would have panned out? Say you wasn't, you know, you didn't get that break as a singer and then you, you know, worked a normal nine to five office job in Cardiff. And, you know, you didn't have as much time at home and things like that. Would you, what, what do you think that you'd still want to do this but wouldn't be able to or you wouldn't have thought about doing this and they would just be in like a mainstream school because of that's what you do? Like, do you think how would that have impacted your, your thought process? Very interesting. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But mm. I, I think that I've got a deep yearning as a mother to, to be a mother and to fulfill that role and to be nurturing and to give it that time. And so I feel it very keenly when I'm not. I think a lot of women feel that way, but society then sort of dictates, you know, because things are so expensive, because, you know, a lot of the time two parents have got to work or you've got a single parent household. People don't have that choice. So I think that, you know, if I if I didn't and I would and I'd have to just, you know, be on the treadmill, I imagine that would create all sorts of uh, sort of underlying 
angers frustrations and stuff yeah. frustrations totally you have to get the gongs out a bit of self-healing sort your right <laughs> out totally but i get it now like i don't do it perfectly in the slightest i lose my shit all the time with it, you know like i'm not i'm, I'm painting a pretty picture yeah. here because that yeah. is part of our lives as well but you know some of the other stuff is you know it's really tricky and you know we are a lot of the time as well carrying on patterns from our own childhoods yeah yeah you know, and it, and it's about trying to bring them into your conscious mind rather than them being unconscious patterns. But I've still got loads of loads and loads of shit that I'm constantly doing wrong. <laughs> being on a bus with Kelsey Grammer, that kind of yeah. stuff you got to work through. What's um, you know, supporting illegal wars, stuff like that. By accident, <laughs> he was only a teenager. But what, what kind of stuff? You've got teenage kids now, teenage boy, teenage girl, well, nearly teenage. Your, your daughter's a little bit younger. But what's what's sending you over the edge of bed? and their behaviour are they are they doing things to wind you up now as teenagers I mean constantly and I wind them up as well and I lose my rag <laughs> um, and, and when I lose my rag I'm completely unreasonable I mean, I will say sorry, like I'm really good at yeah. saying sorry, but they are also completely unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it gets to the stage where, you know, when you do become that sort of human taxi service and such, yeah. and that sometimes they can be quite callous and it is, in a way, it is part of the process. They do sort of need to reject you and push you away in order for them to have the have the confidence to to make their own lives and to eventually, you know, be able to fly the nest. So at different times, and you go, you go, they go through phases, don't they? So at the moment, we're all in this absolutely gorgeous phase. Everybody's really close. Our communication channels are really great. But, you know, nigh on a year ago, it would be really difficult. And my son was like so Neanderthal man <laughs> and terrible at, at communicating. And then, you know, my daughter would be like, just really, I could really feel her pulling away. And that causes a sort of grief for a parent as well yeah. we're, we're, we're trying to hold it all together and we're trying to be big boys and big big mummies and daddies about it you know and and and, and be able to to deal with the emotions of that but it's really big it's a really big grief I think this this idea of letting your children go and, and it happens over a, a period of time but certainly when it's come for me like I said, we're not in that phase at the moment, no. but I know I, I know it's coming again and it will eventually mean that, you know, my babies leave. Maybe we should be better at talking about it. Well, that's the thing, though. You say that, but the teenagers, I, me as a teenage boy, I didn't want to talk about anything. And especially now with like, yeah. social media and phones and TikTok, like, what, you know, what... If you are, you know, letting them decide in a democracy meeting of what they want to do that day, what if your your fourteen year old says, "I just want to look at TikTok all day"? Do, do you allow that, or what's your what's your argument back, or how how do you manage, you know, them sort of taking a piss with it? Basically, giving them responsibility and handing over responsibility to them isn't something that happens in a day. You know, it is a, it is a process. But however, I, I do one of my boundaries, I think, is with phones. What's the church rule? What's the church rule on phones? Well, they don't have phones here in my house. They don't have phones at all? No. Nope. 14, no phone? Yeah. Oh, right. The joy. That's the new no-telly at home, isn't it? The no-phone at home. They, they've got it at their dad's. Are you more strict with these like rules than their dad? 
I don't think I'm more strict. I think we've got our areas, you know. <laughs> areas. As a parent, you do that yeah. you're passionate about, yeah. you know. And for so me, so they're allowed to phone at the dads, yeah, but not here. So, but they they have to just leave the phone at their dads. And that doesn't mean like they use the laptop and we watch stuff yeah. and you know it doesn't yeah. they they still like my son still games and they my daughter still TikToks and you know they're still on YouTube and stuff but it's about the addiction essentially yeah. because everybody's addicted to it because it's made you know it yeah. is a, a multi billion dollar industry you every single person who's utilizing this stuff are having your brain chemistry gained essentially. Don't bring that up too much. We need listeners here. We go on them to switch up the podcast. <laughs> and how how often are their dads then? What's how does it split split up? They they go to their dads twice a week. On a weekday and on a weekend, and and that's worked for us for 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 years. Do you get screen time reports though when they've been to see how long they've been on the boat? <laughs> <laughs> they, could, they could be doing like forty three hours in those two days, <laughs> and actually it's more than in a week. <laughs> Binging it. When would you allow them to have phones? Because I assume you've got a phone. I do, and I and I'm really struggling with my phone yeah. currently, yeah. and I'm thinking because at different times I have gone back to a thirty three ten. Oh, nice bit of snake. Uh, I had it for 18 months once, and it was delightful. <laughs> Just 10 text messages as well. <laughs> it's amazing. Honestly, it's like somebody's turned off the white noise filter. Really? Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, my gosh, I've got so much space in my mind and in my being. Honestly, it's really bizarre. I would highly recommend it to anybody. But, um, and so when would you allow them to bring a phone in the house? Because obviously, you know, well, your boy's 14, I think. Is he 14? I know my daughter's 14 and my boy's 12. So she's 14. So it's really within the next year or so, two years, she'll be able to go and earn her own money. Yeah. And work in a job. So if she has a job, gets her pay pack and goes and buys a phone, is that phone still not allowed in your house at that age? Have you got an age where you, like when that's going to be okay? Because it's getting to a point when they become adults, you know. To be honest, what was meant to happen was that she was going to have a phone at 14. Yeah. But she asked for a dog instead. <laughs> that, is great. that is a good choice. That worked great for me. So so we'll see. Of course, there will come a point where it's just like, okay, fine. But even then, then I'm, I will like ring fence family time and stuff. Yeah. Where we are all handing our phones in or our technology at a certain time. So yeah. we can be together and we can do other stuff, you know, that yeah. the, the, go for a walk, that we can go stargazing and we can go bowling and we can go, we can read a book so that we're not just constantly consuming entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's too much, it's too much for their brains developing. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Charlotte. It's been, it's been, it's been great. It's been so great, Charlotte. Thank you so much. Absolutely fascinating. No worries. And where can people find out more about this, um, your, your, all your projects? Uh, so if you follow me on Instagram, um, I'm the whoa, real Charlotte. Oh, no, no, no. Not, not, our listeners don't have phones. <laughs> so I don't know how you're going to, is there a newsletter? No, neither, neither do I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm the real Charlotte Church on Instagram or on any of the other social media platforms. And yeah, you can find out about all, all of the cool stuff that's going on. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much, Charlotte. So great, Charlotte. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Lovely to chat to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Charlotte that, Church, George. That went, look at that. Look at the understanding we've got there, Oh, Rob. my God. It's like Skulls, Lampard and Gerrard all <laughs> not working efficiently together. How the fuck did they not win a World Cup? Jesus <laughs> Christ.
Sick of it. That it shouldn't be was better. It should be how the fuck did that not work? Sorry, I just that's an old wound that really annoys me. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Rob. I didn't want to reopen that by, by, by saying the same thing as you John at the same Terry, time. Rio Ferdinand, Beckham, Skulls, Gerard, Lampard. It sounds, Gary Neville. It sounds like, you know, when you play FIFA for ages and absolutely smash it and get everyone and it's been pointless <laughs> by the end. And that was our team. Anyway, Charlotte Church. <laughs> How many Charlotte Church fans do you think have enjoyed the last minute of this podcast? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Gigs. What a player he was. Ramsey in the middle. Bale. <laughs> Rush. Oshak. Um, Charlotte Church, yeah. There was more references to Kelsey Grammer than I was expecting. True. Yeah, that was true. I think um, I, I like my, my take Kelsey on Kelsey Grammer is... School is something she hates, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, that... Where's that? Why did I not say that? <laughs> Why did you not say it, Josh? That's got Whitaker written all over. That's a classic Widders. Oh, disaster. I'm going to be... Can we get her back on oh the Zoom, Michael? God. I've got something to add. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, it's um, been great. I think Charlotte. I think I love Charlotte Church. I think she's lovely. And yep. I think for so, you know someone, um, I think she's doing really good, really good things. And all those community um, and volunteer projects she does are great. So yeah, give her a follow on Instagram. Great guest, and um, I think it's it's always interesting to see people's different takes on education and stuff like that. Um, totally agree. And uh, I'll always take a Kelsey Grammer, you know, celeb story. Exactly. I met and him once. Did you? He knows. He's mates with Tom Allen. No, t- sorry, t- what? Tom Allen knows Kelsey Grammer, and I don't know why. Why does Tom Allen know Kelsey Grammer? No idea, but he, we were out in London. He went, do you go for a drink? I went, all right, he went, I'm going to meet my mate. I got there, and he went, what? hello. He went, yeah, but if you're meeting Kelsey Grammer, you don't say, I'm meeting my mate. You say, I'm meeting my mate. Who is Kelsey Grammer? You don't say, my mate. So I got there, and I was all confused, because I'm not a massive Frasier Kelsey Grammer fan, but I'm obviously yeah. aware of what it is. I've never watched That's it. That's insane. Right? I, I never watched it, but I know what it is. So when I met him, I felt like I knew him from something else. And he went, oh, it's my friend Kelsey. I was like, hello, Kelsey. All I think was that's a girl's name <laughs> did you mention it was did you mention well, I, I should have guessed i met him at 9 30 a.m it's the only time he's <laughs> that's a bit of fun isn't it? Yeah, a bit of fun. right see you on uh tuesday bye Hello, I'm Tom Crane. And I'm Simran Shah. And we're the hosts of the new food and comedy podcast, My Favourite Takeaway, where each week we're invited into the home of a celebrity guest to share their favourite takeaway, exactly as they'd normally have it. We'll be trying it all, from Peruvian street food slouched on James A. Castor's L-shaped sofa. To an antique and feast huddled around Andy Oliver's dinner table. Via an alfresco Indian takeaway sat in Tom Allen's garden. And we also want to hear from you, the listener. Your takeaway disasters. Your weird habits. And your personal takeaway recommendations you can follow us on insta my favorite takeaway podcast on twitter at fave takeaway pod or you can email us hello at my favorite takeaway podcast.com and don't forget to subscribe like and share my favorite takeaway the podcast for anyone who loves food but can't always be bothered to cook it available on all podcast platforms now Hello, I'm John Richardson, and I'm here to tell you about the Comedians Playing Fantasy Premier League podcast. I'm Matt Ford, and I'm here to tell you that although our podcast is about Fantasy Premier League, it's not just for saddos, losers, and virgins. Yeah, it's for cool people like us and you. You're listening to this, so you must be cool. Each week, we follow the highs and lows of the fantasy football teams of some of the country's funniest people. The great thing is, you don't really need to be into Fantasy Premier League or even football to enjoy it. That's because each week Matt and I compete with each other, the lowest scorer in FPL having to do a humiliating forfeit each week. Spoiler alert, every week so far, it's been Matthew. 
I'll be honest, it's not the start I'd hoped for. Already I've had to do a humiliating chilli challenge and try to have a pint with a duck, but it swam off. Even ducks don't want to be near Matt Ford. Over the course of the season, we'll be joined by comedians such as Russell Howard, Romesh Ranganathan, Maisie Adam, Josh Widdicombe, Jason Manford, Emily Dean, Rob Beckett and Ian Sterling. So don't delay. Pick up your phone and subscribe to the Comedians Playing Fancy Premier League podcast now. New episodes are released every Wednesday until the end of the season.